We're at 103. We're just blowing through these now. My God, I know. Isn't that crazy? It ain't no thing. Ain't, ain't nothing but a chicken wing. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing on a string. Bam. Scary girl. Hi, everybody. Hi, <laughs> I'm Stephanie. I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time Stories. Episode 103. 103. I feel like in that moment, instead of going blah, 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 I wanted to go rubber remote because we're still <laughs> recording remotely. <laughs> still doing Corona Mote. <laughs> Um, but yeah, here we are. I'll just go ahead and say, if you're new to the podcast, this is a show where every week we get together and we talk about ghost stories, true crime, paranormal, just spooky, eerie, or just the generally weird, whatever we think is super interesting, because it's our show. And not yours. Ear. We also steal material from everyone else. Ear. But Sarah would tell you to start at the first episode. Please, for the love of God, what are you doing? Start back at episode number one. Grumble Thorpe's in my mouth should have a shit ton of listens because everyone should be going back (laughs) and listening to that. Did I tell you that, like, a friend of mine who does a podcast, I listened to... I was like, let me listen to, like, the first couple of episodes, and I started it, and I told them, like, hey, I've listened to your episode, your podcast, and they're like, oh, great, which ones? And I was like, well, I started at the beginning, and I will have you know that their response was like, oh, my God, no, why'd you start at the beginning? And I was like, well, because I know, like, with our podcast, like, Sarah always tells people to start from the beginning, and they were like, oh, it was such a different show, like, we're not, like, we're so much better now than we were then. And I, was I like, feel okay. like, I mean, we've said it before, we started from the bottom, and then we somehow went Stayed further downhill. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like if you start at the beginning, you're seeing us at the bottom. And then if you keep going, then you see our digression into this three-star content that's in your like, ears if today. You, if you come along now, you don't have to get disappointed by starting at the beginning and getting really excited and rolling along. And you're like, oh, I mean, it gets less good. I feel like, like season one was awesome, but you know. <laughs> but I've maybe start at this episode and then work your way back. Then you're going uphill. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen to the show in reverse. Not like not like the beginning of the end of the episode backwards where it's like nyam, 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 snoring, yep, yep. Like not like that, but like start with episode one oh three and you know, count down. I'm gonna play that audio back in real time and find out that you're summoning the devil. You're gonna put your thing down, flip it and reverse it? Yeah, I am. <laughs> you miss Oh my god, I love it. Um, I but love, no, in all seriousness, I feel like people should go back and listen from the beginning. It is a different show, but it's if you don't listen from the beginning, then you won't understand just how different we have become. Grown? Is this growth? Is this what growth looks like? Well, we know how to record remote, so I'm going to say kind of. Yeah. In a way. <laughs> all right. Stephanie all right, Sarah. So. <laughs> We're just going to break into this. I'm sorry. No, I was looking at my I was looking at my stuff. For my story. And I was like, does this have all the things I want to talk about? I know. I'm excited about my story, too. Right? I'm excited. Then do you want to just get into it? Let's just get into it. Leslie, do you want to just get into it? Oh, wait. What? I know. I was going to say, what we will talk about, I'll bring this up at the beginning and the end of the episode, is the next episode, we're going to do a live stream for you guys. We haven't done a live stream in a while. No, and we we used to only offer them to Patreon supporters. It's true, but Um, but we are going to do the next episode as a live stream. That's going to be on Tuesday. Tuesday. What's that date? I just know it's Tuesday of next week. It's a week from today. Does that make it the 12th? We're just going to double check. (laughs) I I don't have a calendar. It's Tuesday the 12th. We're going to bring the, or we're going to um, live stream us recording the episode. So that includes the live stream. We'll have all of the mess ups, flubs. And bullshit that I will that doesn't that gets edit, cut out that you don't that hear gets, from the edited version that gets left on the cutting room floor. Um, so tune in for that. That's going to be a happy hour Tuesday, five thirty. We're going to do that, and then we will still be releasing the audio for you for that episode on, on Thursday. Thursday. 
So if you don't catch the live stream, which we hope that you will, but the live stream will be up for 24 hours on Facebook. And then Thursday, the episode will come out as normal. But if you want to have a good time and watch us live on Facebook, that's going to be Tuesday, May 12th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Eastern Standard Time. Grab your drinks, grab your smokes, grab your pets, grab your balls, whatever you want to do. Good to point out because I know we have listeners in other places specifically the first one that comes to mind is my friend Caitlin in Denver she used to live here but now she lives there. oh I thought you were um, going to mention our f- friends who are in other like I we have a listener in Australia I, was say, I but don't yes, know what the I time was is going there to say, right I don't know what the time difference is I'm sorry google it I'm so sorry <laughs> but I know we have people in other countries I just wanted to give a shout out to somebody who I know listens <laughs> I know their name, um, who is in another time zone. So that's going to be 5.30 Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday, May 12th. And that's going to be episode 104, live from Facebook. 104, live from the Facebook. Yeah. I love it. But this is episode 103, and it won't be named until Sarah edits it later. Yeah, of course, because I have no but idea what's But you, the happen. listener, already know what it's called. So, yeah. spoiler alert. I mean, it's like I don't know a baby. Is. Like, I can't name oh, the baby, baby till I meet the baby, and I know what the baby's like, and then I can name the baby. But when you yeah, guys meet the baby, like the baby will be ready to named. name the baby before the baby happens. Although, from my understanding, with um, Val's niece... Uh, Kelly, which is Val's sister, had a name picked out, and then once the baby was born, she was like, nope, this is the baby's name. Yeah. Because she met the baby, and she was like, no, that's not this baby's name. Exactly. I write down some baby names while we're recording, but I have to meet the baby before I name the baby. Right? Why are you writing down baby names? (laughs) (laughs) Because, Stephanie, I'm imagining our child. Sarah. Stephanie. Leslie. Leslie. Y'all ready to Y'all talk, ready to about, talk about, about some, some ghosts? ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Sarah, you're going first this week? I am. We're going to swiggle, witch it up. Oh, I love that. Witch it up, girl. I love a good witch. Oh, no, I said switch. I'm sorry. I'm this has up, nothing to do I with mean, witches. I <laughs> mean, I'm a switch, too, though. <laughs> like in baseball, like you're a switch hitter? Oh, you're not familiar with that term? I do know what that term means. I just decided <laughs> to be an idiot. Um, nope. Okay, so what I'm talking about this week is... Verse. <laughs> did you get it out of your system? I will never no. get it out of my system. It's not a phase, no. Sarah. It's why. who I am. Okay, sure. <laughs> this is me now! I didn't pour it intentionally. Okay, it's spilled. <laughs> Sarah, what are you talking about? It's okay, because she doesn't listen. I know, right? Um, So what I'm talking about this week is a story that I came across, again, down my Reddit thread. But this one stuck with me because it is a story about one of the things that I am super duper, duper scared of that I didn't realize I was scared of until I was an adult and started hearing about different circumstances like this. Um, So what I'm talking about today is the Iroquois Theater Fire in Chicago in 1903. And yes, that is theater with an R-E. So it was live theater. Live theater. So it's a live theater. So December 30th, 1903, a death-dealing blast of flame hurtled through the packed house of the Iroquois Theater in Chicago, causing the death of nearly 600 men, women, and children. At this point in time in 1903, there was no other disaster other than like a volcano somewhere else across the world that had hit and caused this much loss of life in one go as there was in this theater fire. So what happened? Yeah, girl. Because we both work in theater, so we know nowadays there's so many safety precautions put in place. Like probably because of that. (laughs) When they started, I mean, even when theaters first started, the way they were lighting the stage was with lamps and flame. Candles, right? And so they were used fire. Yeah, and then the theater was made of wood. So it just did not add up. So a number of things happened that caused this to be such a devastating loss of life. And we'll get into all those factors. But first, here is the story. Um, On Wednesday, December the 30th, a hearty crowd filled the theater for the matinee performance of the popular musical Mr. Bluebeard. 
We're talking about 2,100 to 2,200 people. It was a super popular musical at the time. Um, And everyone was into it. And it was mainly women and children. And they came to the matinee. They were really excited. And they... (sighs) That Sunday matinee. The theater... um, So, again, we're talking a crowd of 2,100 to 2,200 people. Jesus. The theater had a capacity of 1,600 with three audience levels. They had an orchestra on the main level. They had a balcony, so the first level. And then they had a gallery, the third level, along with a few side boxes as well. Upon its opening just a month prior in November, the theater had been dubbed by critics as one of the most beautiful theaters in Chicago, near say the entire Americas, because of its architecture. The theater had only one entrance with a broad stairway that led from the foyer all the way up to that third floor on the gallery, um, which is definitely 100% a fire code violation. (laughs) Like you needed to have other stairways leading from those areas, but your main stairway started in the foyer and was a humongous grand staircase that led all the way up to that third floor and it would branch off at the orchestra pit the gallery, and then again, or the orchestra pit, the balcony, and then the gallery. Um, But there was no worries because in all of the advertisements and the billing, the theater had been labeled as absolutely fireproof. And on this Wednesday, the house was sold out, and so was the extra standing room only areas, which gave them that capacity of 2,100 people. Shortly after the second act started, Sparks from an arc light ignited on a muslin curtain. The performance continued down below as a stagehand tried to douse the flame with the extinguishers provided by the theater. This failed and the fire quickly spread to the fly gallery above the stage where the highly flammable backdrops had been hung. Mm -hmm. At this point, the stage manager lowered the fire curtain, which working in theater, we all know there's always a fire curtain hidden behind your regular proscenium curtain for these very reasons. So the stage manager went to lower the fire curtain. Um, However, it got snagged and it stuck a little over halfway down and wouldn't go any further down to the ground. At this point, the performance had ceased and one of the lead actors at the time uh, came to the front of the stage attempting to calm the audience and lead them out the exit doors. They were known later, their name is Eddie Foy. They were known as being one of the heroes of this time for continuing to stay on the stage, attempting to calm the audience while he had flaming pieces of backdrop and set design dropping around him. But the audience on all levels began to rush for the exits at this time. Some had indeed located the fire exits, but due to the French architecture and design, they were unable to unlock the unfamiliar bascule locks. Three exits were ultimately opened, one by a man who actually knew how to work the lock because his icebox at the time had that kind of a lock. The second one was opened by some other man's brute sheer force, and the third one as well was either opened by brute force or by a blast of air. Most of the doors were unable to be opened because of the locks, and in a panic, many of the patrons were crushed and or trampled to death at these doorways. Others were killed while they were trying to open what looked like doors with windows on them, but they were in fact just windows, but they had been painted to look like doors. And many others were trapped in dead ends and again asphyxiated by the other people cramming them into the back dead ends. As the performers and stagehands were forced to flee, several of them exited through the building's main rear exit where you would normally load in uh, set set pieces. And when those doors were opened to let the people out, at that point, a gust of wind rushed into the theater, essentially creating an enormous fireball that took the flame from the stage and sent it right out into the orchestra and the gallery level. It basically incinerated everything in its immediate path, including all of the people located in the very front area of the orchestra and in most of the gallery level. Those in the orchestra section that were able to exit straight through the foyer and out the front, so the people who were in the back area of the orchestra seating, but those on the gallery and the balcony area, so the third and second floors, who escaped the fireball somehow, could not reach that main staircase. And the reason why is because they were blocked by iron grates. So at this point in time, 
people who were seated in the gallery area or the balcony area obviously paid less money than the people who sat in the orchestra. And to prevent people from going from the gallery level down to the orchestra level and sitting in seats that weren't theirs, they would put up iron gates once the performance started to stop people from sneaking into other seats. Unfortunately, these iron gates were not taken down before all of the fire happened. So you had people trapped on the balcony and the second floor because they were stuck at the gateways and could not get them open. Again, you found yourself met with people being pushed up against the bars and crushed and asphyxiated and trampled. Jesus Christ, Sarah! Patrons who were able to escape via the emergency exits on the side, on the second, on the balcony and gallery level, then found themselves met with unfinished fire escapes. Many jumped to their death or slipped from the icy escapes and fell below. And the bodies of the first jumpers broke the falls of those who jumped behind them. As the mass panic ensued, many who were still trapped inside tried climbing over the piles of bodies, resulting in some exits having corpses stacked as high as 10 feet. It's estimated that 575 people were killed the day of the fire, and at least 30 more died of their injuries later. Yeah. So what exactly went wrong? Right. Two of the main safety features that exist in theaters existed at that time and still exist now, and that is your safety curtain to confine the flame, so your fire curtain. Yeah. And then smoke doors on the roof to allow the heat to flow upward. So every proscenium theater also has big open doors on the top of the ceiling so that if a fire breaks out on stage, you drop the fire curtain, it keeps the fire in the stage space, and then the smoke doors open and allows the smoke to carry upward as opposed to carrying outward into the house. So it stays confined on the stage and upward. Well, at the Iroquois Theater... Those roof doors, for some reason, had been locked shut and sealed shut, so they never opened once the fire started. So the fire had nowhere else to go other than spread through the house, and then ultimately when those doors were opened, it that's what helped create that fireball because everything was pressurized. You add in more oxygen, and it shoots it out through the rest of the house. The other thing is that fire curtain, when they tried to drop it, it snagged and got stuck. And one of those reasons is because they did not test the fire curtain. They never tried taking it down. And then later on, upon further inspection of the fire curtain, they found that it was not even fireproof. It was made of a cheap asbestos and wood chip made material that My wouldn't God, have so even stopped it. It was like extra it flammable. Yep, it wouldn't have not stopped it Not even like anyway. wouldn't stopped it, but like probably would have helped it. Yep, would have kept it going. It was just, it was just Kindle. Another big point is that a lot of your exit doors opened inward causing them to be inoperable once a crowd of people pushed against them, as opposed to opening outward, which is now the norm. Exits were not labeled. There were no exit signs. And in fact, many of the exits were covered by drapes. And some of the exits that looked like viable doors were merely decorative and part of the architecture and were not actual doors. And then you had the fire escapes that were unfinished, and those in and of themselves led to 125 deaths on their own. All in all, this is still one of the largest, I don't even know how to describe these types of events, but just largest like mass loss of life due to a fire in a confined space. Number one, they had more people in there than they were supposed to have. They were supposed to have, yeah. And then you add in all these other factors, the safety measures not working, the doors opening inward, doors not being labeled, those iron gates not being taken down, or and being there in the first place, not having more than one exit stairway. All of these things we now see changed in our fire code and preventions that we deal with today. Oh, I'm sure. But they yeah, would I'm not sure they have learned a lot. Been in place other than this. And you would think that, but this is not the last time that we see this happen. This happened the number one that I one that I read that got me and made me realize that I am truly terrified of being crushed to death in a sea of people. That's like one of my number one fears because of stories like this. The thought of being in a crowd trying to get out of a situation and then you're just crammed against a door and you're stuck 
and you essentially suffocate to death. It happened at the Station nightclub fire in 2003. That's the main one that you'll read about if you Google search something like this. And that only killed 100 people. It hurt 230 people. But yeah, it only killed 100 people compared to 600 that this one got. Jesus Christ. The other time that this happened that's a notable event was a sporting event overseas in the UK. And I am not going to remember the name of it. But in that time, they essentially let in more people than they were supposed to let into the stadium. And it pushed just people like ants, water, Mm -hmm. sand. Like it just pushed those people in the front up against the fence and crushed them to death. God damn it. That's horrifying. Isn't that the scariest way to fucking die? I've never thought about that. I've thought about like there being a crowd of people and falling and being trampled. That happened here too, but oh my God, no. Oh yeah, no, I'm sure that happened, but I've never really thought about like just being squished up against something to death and by, in, by a huge amount of people. In Game of Thrones, the like most, I think it's their most expensive fight that they like paid for and choreographed is the Battle of the Bastards. And there's mm. a moment in that fight where it shows like John. I watched that episode oh. with you, even though I wasn't watching Game of Thrones anymore by that point. Oh my I did gosh. watch that episode with you guys. It kills me. That's like that's my fear is you're just stuck in a horde, a body of people, and there's nothing you can do, and you're being crushed to death. So that's the Iroquois Theater Fire in Chicago. Jesus Christ. Okay. And um, that story scared the shit out of me. And it also hit close to home because we work in theaters. And reading about it, I was like, oh, my God. It just one thing led to another. Like, the sparks happened. The stagehand couldn't put it out. The fire curtain didn't go all the way down. And then when people tried to exit the theater, it caused a fireball. To kill all of the, pa- like, you know, to wipe out the patrons. It was just one thing after another. And to think about it, it wasn't even from, like, a flame on stage. It was from a light, from a stage light. Because you and yeah. I both know how much of a stickler theater is for live flame on stage. Like, you ju- yeah. you don't do it. It doesn't happen. So Not anymore. Yeah. You don't light a real fire and you don't say Macbeth. And, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Don't light a real fire. But those are both real things. Done. Theater, you don't do either of those things. Don't fucking do it, or people are gonna die. Yeah, if you didn't know that about theater, um, now you know. Now you know. If you don't know, now you know. Cause it's a dead time story show. <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's do it. I like that little. Da, 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 da. That was from jingle. a um. It for some reason has always stuck with me, but from Disney Channel. When I was a kid, high school, middle school, I was a big Disney Channel kid. And they had a little short segment called Mike Super Short Show. And it was like a little 15-minute in-between shows show. And they would have, like, movie guest stars and stuff on. But that was our jingle. It's have you ever seen? Have you ever seen the footage of Disney stars doing the little ear thing? Yes, without and how awkward it is. <laughs> it is so incredible. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you used to watch the Disney Channel... And somebody would be like, you know, I'm Haley Duff, and this is the Disney Channel. And she would have a little wand, and she would draw the, the mouse, mouse ears. ears with lights, right? And it was her, and it was a bunch of other, you they know, all did Disney it, Channel yeah. celebrities. A video came out a couple of years ago that was, like, a bunch of those videos, but without the special effects. It's just them in front of a green screen and just doing that over and over again. Like, I'm so-and-so, and you're watching the Disney Channel, and then, like, trying to draw And I love how annoyed they would get after, like, ten takes. They would oh just they'd be like, okay, we need it one more time, and they'd be like, and it's, and it's like, Disney yeah, Channel. Yeah, you've got, like, Hilary Duff, and you've got, like, Raven Simone and, like, Christy Carlson Romano, like, oh, all the... Christy Carlson, Kim Possible. <laughs> Right. Um, Kim Possible. I she was Kim Possible. I always think of her as the older sister on Even, Even Stevens. Stevens. She was both to me. Because also both to me. Ron Stoppable well, is uh, was the Eric. hot older brother yep. from yes from Boy Meets World. He yep. sure was. Will Friedel or Friedel, however you say I it. I think it's Friedel. Yeah, he was Whatever. also in a made-for-TV movie on Disney Channel. Was with... he my date with the president's daughter? Oh, that wasn't what I was going to say. Oh. Um, 
with, is it one of the Lawrences? Is it Matthew Lawrence? <gasps> Whichever one was also on Boy Meets World. Yes. Called H-E Double Hockey Sticks. Yes. Where like the Lawrence that. brother was like, uh, like a hockey player and Will Friedle was the devil who he like made a pact with to be really good at hockey. And it was called H-E Double Hockey Sticks. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I used to love the Lawrence Brothers. Oh my god, I watched so much Disney. Disney Channel original movies. That's where it's Lawrence has to be the most, the oldest one. So it can't be him. No, Joey Lawrence. That's Joey Lawrence is the oldest one. There we go. So it was Matthew Lawrence. Yes. Okay. Because Joey Lawrence is yeah. Matthew Lawrence is like the the middle the middle one. one. Is it Andrew Lawrence? Is the youngest one? Yes, because he was the one closest to my age. Oh my god. I love that we know this. <laughs> we should do a trivia night all about Disney Oh my Disney god, Channel. Gen Z, you couldn't possibly understand yeah, fuck the you, Lawrence Gen Brothers. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. That's Joey Lawrence. He's on Blossom. He was also Oliver in Oliver and Company. Fun facts. The Disney cartoon from the 80s that's based on Oliver Twist, but it's about a but cat. it's about a cat. And a bunch of dogs. And, and Billy dogs. Joel is there, too. Billy Joel does and all the music. Hitler. And Cheech. Oh, my God. There are so many famous people in that movie. Oh, yeah. It's Dom a great DeLuise movie. It's on there. Disney+. Plus. Gen Z, go check it out. If this is torture, chain me to the wall. <laughs> that was always in the adverts for it. Always. That was right. That was always, always the, the last trailer. thing you would hear in the commercial was... was Cheech, who was a little chihuahua, and he was lighting up a cigar. And that said, part this and is torture. Jane meets with a wall. That part and Bette Midler being like, do you have any idea whose bowl you're bowl eating out of? My bowl! Mine! Right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Bette Midler. She was a fancy poodle. Uh. Well, that's, here um, we go. Now we lighten, we literally did what you're supposed to do when you're done with a scary movie, and that is watch Disney movies. So we took a scary up. story, and then we talked about the Lawrence Brothers <laughs> to lighten and now the mood. And then we're going to follow that up with a promo, Sarah. I was going to say, hold on, we need another promo to, like, wet their palate before we dive take into another away. one. <laughs> Everyone, take a listen. This is a new promo. We're heading out. Heading out. That's weird. A new promo we're throwing your way. This Sarah, you know what you said, right? What? You said take a listen. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> I hate that. Take a listen. Okay. Well, here's but a promo. This promo. Here's a promo by Dear Nikki. Honestly, I will let her explain what she does uh, for herself because she'll take it away, be Nikki. the best to listen to it. Yeah. Welcome. To in bed with Nikki. I'm a phone sex operator that has been in the business for 15 plus years. And over those years, I have heard a lot of confessions of what the sexual needs are of both men and women, and even given a few of my own. As I tell everyone I speak with, I love to see in that sexual closet that we all have. And it's a very much of a turn on for me to hear them. So I bring to you the emails that have been given to me over the years, with their permission, of course. Some names have been changed at the request of the authors. So I invite you to sit back, enjoy some of the erotic encounters that have been emailed to me over the years, both sexy and funny as hell. If you have any mishaps or steamy stories you'd like to share, please feel free to send them my way. To dear Nikki, N I K K I one six two at gmail.com. And as always, for every problem, there is a solution, and I call it an orgasm. Have a great day. You threw me for a loop. I'm like, did I say that? You definitely did. You'll hear it when you edit. Fuck yeah! <clears throat> I'm just kidding. Well, I'm excited to listen to that, and you should too. There you go. Go check out uh, her podcast. You know that's up my alley. Bam. Oh yeah, right up yours. As soon as she sent it to me, I was like, oh, Stephanie's gonna like Stephanie's this. Stephanie's gonna love this. Because <laughs> for a while, we've only been promo and partnering with other weird podcasts, and I... Right? opened up the net to other podcasting friends and she was our first one to send us something that's not like a weird and spooky podcast so i love it it's like a a culture a living podcast and it's totally something i would be interested in so yeah so you should go check it out um speaking of stephanie 
What are Sarah. you talking about this week? So, Sarah, today I'm going to talk about a woman named Tanya Head. Tanya is T-A-N-I-A. Uh, and I think I've talked about her before, but not on the podcast. Like, I don't know if I've done an official story about her. Uh, it's not ringing any, like, the name's not ringing any bells right now. Sure. So, Tanya Head was a 9-11 survivor. She had a pretty incredible story. You're making a face. Is it? <laughs> like, I'm, going, I'm thinking I'm I might have about. heard about this, like, somewhere else. But you keep going. Mm. Okay. So she had a pretty incredible story. She was in the South Tower, which is the second of the two towers that went down. It was the North Tower first. Gen she Z, was, you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah's just like covering around like, you can't believe you said that. I cannot. Oh, all right. I'm sorry, um, Lord. <laughs> so she was working for Merrill Lynch at the time. She was on the 78th floor of the South Tower. And she saw when the first tower got hit. Like, she witnessed that, which a lot of people were in the second tower, right? And the first tower collapsed before the second tower, right? So she was um, she was in the building when it happened, and when the second plane crashed into the second building on her floor. Um, the whole floor caught fire, uh, including her and her clothing. <gasps> she was on fire. Mm-hmm. And she crawled through a lot of the floor to try and, like, get down to the elevator or the stairs or somehow to escape the building. Uh, while she was crawling through, there was a man uh, who, he was, he was dying, and he gave her his wedding ring and asked her to give the wedding ring to his widow. Okay? Um, but he helped her get out before he himself died. Uh, as she was getting down, she was helped by another person who um, many people just knew him as the man in the red bandana, uh, but there were pictures of him. His name was Wells Rimley, uh, Wells Wemmy Crowther, uh, and he's a person that a lot of people who were at 9-11 had witnessed because he helped people. He worked in the building, but he was also a volunteer firefighter in his county, so he stepped up to try and help people escape. And he helped a lot of people out of the building before he himself died. But she credited him as being the person that, like, got her out of the tower. Um, She was going in and out pretty bad. She was badly burned, um, trying to escape the building. And she, like, lost consciousness a lot. Um, But she said that what kept her going was the thought of uh, her wedding dress and getting married to her fiancé, David who she didn't know at the time, but David worked in... She knew he worked in the first building, but she didn't know that he died. <gasps> no! In the first building. Yeah. So she managed to escape, and when she did, um, she got out of the building, but then she woke up like six days later uh, and didn't really have, you know, any memory of, of the preceding six days. She ended up becoming a board member of the Survivors Network, about a year later, um, the story that she shared with people about being in the South Tower, um, she was working, like I said, for Merrill Lynch. She was there working on a merger with the Fiduciary Trust, which was on the that floor, and the Franklin Resources Incorporated. So she was trying to leave the tower, like I said, when the plane struck. And she described, like, being burned. Um, and she did have, you know, burn marks on her arms. Uh, the ring that the man gave her that she, months later, she found his widow and she gave the ring back to her. Um, she never publicly disclosed the identity of the family, but she had spoken of being rescued by Mr. Crowther, who was, uh, like I said, he was a 24-year-old equities trader and a volunteer firefighter in Rockland County. And he was credited with saving several people in the South Tower by leading them to the only stairs in either tower that hadn't been severed by the planes. Mr. Crowther was believed to have worn the, a red bandana. So many people, that's how they described him. The man in the red bandana helped me. I was helped by the man in the red bandana. Um, she said that she awoke to find him putting out the flames. Because remember I said she was on fire? Like, she woke up to him, like, putting her out. Oh. And when she regained consciousness in the hospital and found out that Dave, her fiancé, had died in the North Tower. Oh. She said that she established a foundation in his memory. It was Dave's Children Foundation, and she served as the executive director. 
Um, and a colleague said that she had met Dave when they were fighting over a taxi and he gave her his business card, which she threw away in a huff. But a month later, they met up again because they were at the same business meeting and that's when they started dating. <laughs> she um, raised a ton of money and became, um, like I said, she became one of the presidents of the Survivors Network. Her story was all over their website. She did tours for, um, like, um, she toured Rudy Giuliani there. She took Bloomberg, who was the mayor at the time, um, the governor, all of them. She had taken to Ground Zero when they put up, like, the, the Tribute Visitor Center. She was the one that toured around and told them about the horrible things that she saw. And she created, like, an online survivor's network. So she met with all these people on the internet, and they all shared their stories until she met... She met with Richard Zimbler, who was the acting president of the World Trade Center Survivors Network, and they worked together to try and, like, bring all the survivors to, like, one central kind of network where they could all connect with each other and share their stories and, you know, build with each other. Um, And everyone talked about what a vital part of the organization she was, um, how much she raised for the survivors, for the survivors' family. Um, She herself didn't keep any of the money because she came from a, she's a Spanish immigrant. She came from a wealthy family in Spain. So she didn't keep any of the money that she raised. She gave all the money to the survivors and to the survivors network. So in 2007, so 2006 was when they had like the five year anniversary. Mm -hmm. And that's when she took um, the mayor and the governor and, you know, the former mayor to go look and talk about her experiences. There were a lot of survivors who talked about how she helped them like move through their grief and that she really like united a lot of them. And she really brought a lot of attention to the 9-11 survivors uh, and helped raise all this all this attention as well as all this money to help their families and this and the people who who actually died like to help their their surviving families so in 2007 uh the new york times wanted to do a story on the the 19 survivors that got out of the the building because there were people who you know a lot of people who died just around the streets but as far as people who actually made it out of the building there were really only like 19 people that got out of the building alive and she was one of them wow so when it came to doing interviews she was really like she really expressed that like she didn't want any personal attention that she just wanted to help the survivors and she didn't really want to do a lot of interviews she canceled on a lot of them and she kind of stood them up and these were really basic just like you know where are you from like you know what hospital did you go to and who helped you and you know what happened and upon starting to investigate sarah they found out that she was never in the twin towers stop Everything that she told them was a lie. Stop! She was not even in the United States on September 11th. What? How? 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 How does she, how does she pull that long of a con? Because up until that point, there hadn't really been any reason for anybody to try to verify her story, right? Because yeah, why would, would somebody lie about that? Right. So nobody really looked into the details and nobody really, like, it wasn't until somebody was investigating and doing a story on her and the survivors that it started to get questioned. So, but, okay, but she didn't take any money. No, she didn't take any money. Did she make money by being on the board? No. So then why? So when people went to investigate more about her, um, her real name is Alicia Estevehead. Um, Don't know why she started going by Tanya or when she started going by Tanya. David, the person that she claimed to be married to, was a real person who worked in the World Trade Center And his family said they had no idea who she was. They had never heard of her before. They didn't know anything about that relationship. They didn't know anything about that. The family that she got the wedding ring from the guy and took it back to his widow, she never said who it was because that wasn't a real thing that happened. 
She had burn scars, but I don't know what they were from. They weren't related to 9-11. She only knew about the man in the red bandana because of all of the other stories that people had about the man in the red bandana. What, like, what the fuck? What? 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 Why? 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 I just, I need to know why. It's hard to know why, because after she was outed, she, I don't, she didn't disappear, but I mean, she stopped going by her fake name, Yeah. right? Yeah. Because that wasn't her real name. Of course, and she was found out. Right, and she wasn't, like, granting interviews or talking to anyone after that. She never talked to anybody else about, like, why she did it. Nobody knows. Um... So the Board of Survivors uh, Network obviously removed her as the president and the director of the group. Um, they put all over her website that there was, like, nothing to do. They had nothing to do with her anymore. Like, she wasn't around. Were all those um, people that said that she helped them, were they fake, too? No. What? They were people who really survived. And then, on top of the trauma of that experience... They had this new trauma of, like, this person who all of them had confided in and shared these horrific stories of what they had survived. They all, you know, they had this deep camaraderie with her, and she had done so much work to help their organization, but everything that she said was a lie. Everything she said about her experience, what she saw, what she went through, none of it was true. What and the so fuck? What? A lot of them have really, obviously, oh very conflicting God. feelings about about her. Obviously, it's wrong that she lied. They None of them are okay with that. None of them are like, I don't care. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's also, like, the ones who said that she had helped them personally, like, who had helped, she helped them recover, she helped them get over stuff, like, they're just completely at a loss. Like, they feel like... They already went through this horrible thing, and then, and then one woman catfished. who, like, who said was, like, her best friend. Like, she's like, I don't know who she is. I don't know what to believe. I don't know what's real. That's such a mind fuck. Yeah. That's so awful. And then she just disappears. She just kind of fell off the map, right? Like, once she wasn't going by her fake name anymore, she, she had left New York, but she came back, um... There was, so there was a documentary about her. There's a book about her as well, which I hate the title of it because it already gives it away, which is The Woman Who Wasn't There. Yeah. (laughs) Is the name of, which is how I had first heard about it. I watched the documentary and I was just completely blown away. In recent years, it seemed that she had been completely dedicated to uniting the survivors, uniting and supporting the 9-11 survivors, but she earned no money as the president of the Survivor Network or as a volunteer tour guide at Ground Zero. Colleagues remember events that she sponsored at her own apartment. So weird, because then why would she do it? She doesn't want the attention. She's not getting any money. She's just fucking with people i guess right i don't know if it was just like i don't know if it was about like the attention and the admiration like maybe she dodged attention a little bit to like avoid getting found out yeah but ultimately i mean she liked the attention from the the survivors from the survivors right from but the she people she wasn't she was even helping. here she was not so Where she was, was at she? grad school in barcelona at that time, she wasn't even in the United States. So then how soon did she get back over here to start that story? That's the part that's a little muffled because, remember, she was, like, it was an internet group originally. It wasn't, like, a whole foundation. It was, I. it must have just started with, like, her being on a Reddit thread <gasps> for survivors of 9-11. Do you oh know what I mean? Oh, my gosh, like, yeah. It started with her just on this, like, group on just on online the and then she like she brought more people in and then connected them with a larger group wow all while making up this story so that she could fit it oh my gosh and sarah oh. that, that was for six years oh because 9 11 was 2001 she was not found out until 2007 so for six years she gaslit she was, these people or i guess catfished 
she was saying she had been there and like nobody really like there every now and then there are a few discrepancies like sometimes she would call Dave her husband and sometimes she would call him her fiance yeah or like little things about like was it the 78th floor or the 94th floor like little things but nobody ever questioned it because they were like well I don't want to press right this is trauma I don't want to have to like to push for for more details and it wasn't until like the new york times was doing a story and they were just trying to verify what they thought because they weren't trying to like expose her they had no idea yeah they were just trying to like you know tell the story of this courageous surviving woman who has gone on to help all the other survivors and here's what happened here's her story here's where she came from and then when she wouldn't she wouldn't work with them and so they were like okay we'll just do this research on our own and they couldn't find anything no hospital records no record merrill lynch said she never worked for them oh my gosh that's so crazy yeah what she retained a lawyer to represent her, um, and the only response that she had in the question of the, the accuracy of her story was, with regard to the veracity of my client's story, neither my client nor I have any comment. Wow. When they tried to follow up for another interview after they had exposed her, she said only that, like, she wouldn't explain herself. She wouldn't explain why she was why she wasn't talking. And she said that no one had filed any, um, that she hadn't filed any claims for the Federal Victim Compensation Fund, that she hadn't taken any money, and she said she hadn't done anything illegal. She hasn't. She's just toyed with people's emotions. So she was never tried for anything. She didn't commit fraud because she didn't take any money. That is so weird. She just lied a lot in a really big way, but financially she hadn't done anything fraudulent because she took money for 9-11 survivors, right? But she gave it to the 9-11 survivors. She didn't take it for herself. She didn't need to take any money because her family was really well off. She didn't need any of the money. And so she didn't take it. That is so weird. So as to why, they're really, she's never said why, because since that, since she was outed, she's never given any interview, she's never talked about it, she's never written about it, and she's just kind of fallen off Yeah, no one map. really knows where she is. She and no one really knows name. where she is. Mm-hmm. Ugh, weirdo! And that is the story of Tanya Head, the woman who wasn't there. The woman who isn't real, because it's a fake name, too. It's not... Right. It's her real last name, but it's not her real first name, and it's not her real story. Wow. People are crazy. People are crazy. That's insane. Yeah. Oof. Oof. That's scary, girl. Yeah. That's scary. If you want more details about it, I haven't been able to find the documentary again. It used to be on Netflix a number of years ago. That's when I saw it. Um, But it is also a book of the same name, The Woman Who Wasn't There. And it's fucking crazy. And the saddest thing to me are the people who, like, who really confided in her and who... Yeah, the people who trusted trusted her her and and then they found out that that wasn't real. felt like she had really helped them. Because now, like, they have to grapple. A lot of them already have survivor's guilt. Like, they already feel terrible that they didn't die. Then they have, on top of that, this, like, horrible feeling of this person who took advantage of them when they were vulnerable and lied to them for years. For years. This wasn't, like, a couple of months. That's what really gets me. Like, this wasn't, like, she was found out within a few months. This was years, for years. She was, like, the face of 9-11 survivors. That's just it, too, is I'm like, she was the face of it. She had the credentials. It wasn't, like, a rando approaching these people who were already traumatized. So I'm just like, was this just a mind fuck for her? Was this just, like, a weird, a weird uh, manipulative game? Because if she wasn't doing it for the money or the quote-unquote attention... What was she doing it for? I don't know. I don't think we'll ever know. She's going to keep her little butthead Because this, shut. like I said, she was exposed in 2007. So it's been 13 years and she's never spoken about it. 
Wow. Ugh. <laughs> so that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Tanya was sticking to it, too, until they found her until out. Until they did a fucking New York Times story on her. <laughs> Oof. All right. So Those are two crazy stories. Right? I was like, how's that for a fucking roller coaster? How is that? We're killing it. Just like a fire in a crowded theater. The, the last thing anybody really heard of her um, was, I mean, she had moved back to Spain. Um, and in 2012, when the company she was working for, which was an insurance company in Barcelona, when they found out about what happened in New York, they fired her. Good for them. Right. As they should. But that was after, because the, so the original story came out from the New York Times in 2007. In this, sorry, I just, I just Googled and found this and I was like, ooh, wish I had found this before. Um, so after she was exposed as a fraud, right, she declined all further interviews and she abruptly left New York. In February of 2008, an anonymous email was sent from a Spanish account to members of the World Trade Center Survivors Network claiming that she had committed suicide. Oh, I'm assuming that she sent that email. Another manipulative mind game. In 2012, a book, that's when the book and the, the film came out, both titled The Woman Who Wasn't There. They told her story from inside the World Trade Center network, utilizing interviews with Head and members of the network before and after her deception was revealed. Both the book and the film noted that Head was seen with her mother in New York on September 14th of 2011. And there's this one clip where they, like, they see her and she, like, you know, like hand in the camera, like she's not talking to them. Um, and then the last that the last little piece of news is that in 2012 she, which that would have been like a year after that, or the same year that the the book and the documentary came out, her job found out about it in Spain and fired her. And that's wow. That's the last the piece of news that there is about her. I would love to know what her rich family thinks once that all came out. <sighs> Who knows? Yeah, I have. You know? I have no idea. What was their take on the whole thing? That's a great question. That's insane. Yeah. Ugh, makes me uneasy. As it should. That there are people out there who would do something like that. Who are that right? Like fucked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Oof. All right. Well, thanks, Stephanie. That's that. <laughs> I thought I was going to be uneasy telling my story about people being crushed to death by other people. And then you came out with someone lying about being at 9-11. And I was like, all right, shots fired. Right. Well, and that's why when you said something about like we were talking earlier about like the weight of our stories when we were trying to figure out before we started recording, like who was going to go first. And I was you talked about like a lot of people dying. And I was like, well, mine like it starts a little bit. You were like, were, like a lot of people, people dying. dying. I didn't think you meant it was about 9-11 level of people dying. Well, I thought I'm being like, well, mine starts with 9-11, but it's not about 9-11. Like it starts there. But like, that's not what the, the story is. And I also have to appreciate that because we are older that we were both alive and both vividly remember 9-11 and some of our younger listeners, if there are younger listeners listening, might not. And I might think us knowing and yet. remembering. Might not have even been I know. born yet. I know. That kills me. But part of the unease comes from remembering that. Comes from remembering how everything felt. Like right yes. now. like I, you Right, know, like everyone know. our age like remembers that day. Yes. Like you remember like where you were when you heard about it. Like what you were doing. Yeah. What it was will, like afterward. Yeah. I will hashtag never forget. Like literally. Yeah. <laughs> I remember where I was because because I didn't understand like what was happening. You don't understand I, the gravity of it. When, you're when I first heard about it, it was on the radio and they weren't describing what was happening. They were all just like. You know, after the events of today, where I was like, what events of today? Like, yeah, yeah, where it was basically like another Pearl Harbor kind of situation. It really was. Well, I mean, because we had never had an attack on our soil. On U.S. soil. Right. In our lifetime. Until Pearl, uh, Mm -hmm. since Pearl Harbor. Yep, I'll never forget. I stayed home sick from school that day, and I was sick in my parents' room watching TV, and I remember being pissed off that my like normal daily tv shows were being interrupted by the news and my dad was really upset i was in fifth grade my dad was really upset because he was obviously like no you you know this is going on he's upset because of that and he's trying to explain to me but it didn't hit for like another week or so 
Now, my like brother also was in school with me at the time. My brother would have been a senior when I was a freshman. And he said that they came on the, like, the speaker, like, they were on the loudspeaker in second block and that they made an announcement about it. And I and, don't remember that at all. Oh, really? But... But also, my second block class was my science class, and it was rowdy as fuck. Like, it was so loud, I like, I wouldn't have heard it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, everybody was talking and talking, so I didn't hear anything about it. And it wasn't until fourth block when, like, I went into class, and it was my health class, and the teacher was listening to it. And, like, as people were coming in, like, he was telling people to shut up. Like he was, And he was, like, a fun, like, friendly teacher, you know what I and mean? And he was like, shut the fuck up. Right, and people were coming in, he was like, shut up, just go to your seat, everybody be quiet. And we're all like, what's happening? And he was listening on the radio. Yeah. And it sounded like World War III was starting. Yeah. And then when I got home, my mom was sitting in the living room folding laundry, watching TV, and they were just playing it on a loop. Like, the build, like the plane crashing. It being hit over and tower. over and over again. Yep, mm-hmm. I remember watching the news all of it but yeah they said that at my school they put it all on the tvs in the classrooms and they just watched the news for the and a lot of people's parents came and picked them up well and one of my teachers said that she heard about it because somebody was super late and he came in and said he was super late because they were listening to the news and a plane crashed into the world trade center yeah and she was like why would you say that right exactly and she said that they put on the news in her class and that it was there right yeah and that was how she heard about it was this kid came in and he was like i'm sorry i'm late a plane crashed into the world trade center and she was like what yeah it was a crazy time y'all it was a crazy time. A lot of but people remember. Woof. Tiny Head was not there. She was and not. And she doesn't remember. <laughs> it's, can you forget something that you never, that you oh never remember because it never happened? Fuck her, uh-huh. man. Fuck her. So, that's Tanya Head. Oh, and... all right. Well, that's two unsettling stories and no more Disney to follow it up. Hope you guys have a good rest of your Thursday. Thanks for listening. <laughs> you've never, uh, I was going to say, well, the only Disney thing that I have to add is that, well, I don't think you've ever watched Big Love, but I'm rewatching Big Love on HBO with Val. It's really good. It's about polygamous Mormons. Holds up. It's like a, it's over 10 years old and it's great. And it has... Bill Paxton, RIP. I still can't believe Bill Paxton is dead. That blows my mind. He's too young. Um, But (laughs) there's this girl who is awful, not the actress, the character, um, named Rhonda. And I found out that the actress that plays her was the voice of Lilo in Lilo and Stitch. And it blew my fucking mind. (laughs) (laughs) But she plays like a young... Like, child bride of, like, the head of the polygamous Mormons, right? Ooh, girl. Big Love is, it's like the mafia, but Mormons instead of Italians. Oh, my God. It's crazy. That sounds Um, crazy. It is crazy. Ugh, I want to watch more of it. If if you haven't seen that, that's a high recommendation for me is Big Love on HBO. Real good. And tons of great people on it. Like I said, Bill Paxton is there. Jennifer Goodwin. Chloe Sevigny. It's one of my favorite things I've ever seen her do. Mostly because she's usually, like, she's such a hippy-dippy, like, fashion icon person, right? Mm -hmm. And on this show, like, she plays, like, a fundamentalist Mormon. So she's always dressed up, like, in turtlenecks and, like, has, like, a French braid. And she's, like, very conservative. And I'm always like, I love seeing you in this role because this is so not who you are. So from a fire... (laughs) <laughs> Disney to Disney to, to another fire 9-11 fire right, in the a lot, there was a lot of fire there to uh, HBO you know there you go we make it in the full circle here you're getting a little more than your three star content alright <laughs> we covered at least four Three topics and a half today stars. yeah <laughs> so if you guys want to support this three star content you can give the- us some ratings to take us up to three and a half stars <laughs> What are we at, though, for real? 4.7. This is some bullshit, y'all. Yeah, fuck that. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a five-star rating. So the best way you can help us is by contributing to our Patreon, which is $1, $5, $15 a month. 
And even just $1 a month is awesome because it gets you access to the Patreon-exclusive Facebook group, oh, which yeah. is such a good time. It's popping. It's me and Sarah. It's Christina. It's Mary Angela. It's Val. It's Colleen. It's Caitlin. All posting great memes and talking about true crime and spooky shit, and it's a good time. That's only a dollar a month. But we also know that there's a lot of shit going on right now, so if you can't afford that, totally okay, because another incredible way to help this podcast is just to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Just that five-star review, talk about why you love the show so much, because you do, right? I mean, yeah, you're still listening. Please. We hope so. They turned it off. And the other best thing that you can do is watch our live stream episode. Yeah, this on Tuesday, Tuesday, May 12th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook. Tune in, be there, or be square. I don't Tune know. in, or be there, or don't be there and lie and tell people that you were. But we'll know because we can see who's watching. Because <laughs> it tells us if you watched or not. Yep. We see That's you it. if you're watching. We see you if you don't. We're basically spooky Santa, Santa Claus. I like it. Bam. All right, y'all. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this has been Dead Time Stories. Thanks for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 